Good morning. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Glad to see you here. Our first uh, Sunday of 2018. I'm excited. Uh, I don't know that I I think I did announcements last week with Luke out and everything else that's going on. I don't even know that I mentioned that we're starting a new sermon series today on the book of Ephesians. And so I'm really excited about that. been planning that for a while now. And so we're going to be going through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus as we go through uh, this letter together. We're actually going to be in it for a while. Uh, I don't know that that's any surprise to anybody. I think we spent about nine months last year in Acts. And so we're going to spend about five or six months in Ephesians this year. So. Uh, we're going to be spending our time working through this letter together. And as we look at the book of Ephesians, um, it's in a lot of ways, although he says right at the beginning to the, the saints in Ephesus, it, it's a very broad letter in the sense of most scholars believe it was a circular letter that was to be passed around to all the early churches. It's not particularly just to the church in Ephesus, but it, it covers a lot of broad topics and a lot of broad things that are very important for us today. And we can break down uh, Ephesians real simply like this in the sense of the first three chapters hit on a lot of theology, a lot of big ideas about who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus and what that looks like. And then four five and six quickly get to some practical application of what those things look like. And so if you were with us last year as we were going through, excuse me, as we were going through Acts, as we got to the end of the year, we finished that at the end of November. And as we finished in Acts, each week as we were working through Acts, we were saying it was the spread of the gospel, the early church going out, and we get to the end of Acts, and Acts ends in about 63 A.D. Well, this letter that we're going to look at that Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes from Rome in prison right about 63 A.D. So right where Acts ends, where we have Paul in Rome and he's there under house arrest, he writes these letters, and that's when he wrote the book of Ephesians. And so that's what we're looking at. There's kind of a continuation there from what we were doing last year as we looked at the book of Acts, and now we're going to get into Ephesians. And so if I were to break it down for you, just big, big idea of Ephesians, those first three chapters kind of being full of the theology, uh, doctrine, some really deep things that Paul gets into. Uh, chapter one, actually what we're going to look at today, is really one great big run-on sentence. Uh, it's really a poem. Paul's almost singing as he gets to this introduction and he immediately goes into these flying, huge, soaring ideas. And we're going to look at that for actually the next couple weeks. And then he goes into a prayer. And then in chapter two, he talks about what it means to be united in Christ and our grace by grace in him and what he's done for us. Chapter three, we get Paul talking about his ministry and the way that God has dealt with him. And then there's another prayer. And then we get to four, five and six. And really what we're going to do and just the way we're going to look at Ephesians together is we're going to look at those first three chapters. It'll take us up almost to Easter. And we're going to pause for a few weeks before Easter, leading up to Easter to do a sermon series. And then we'll do Ephesians part two, where we'll do four, five and six. And the way that breaks down, even though we're working our way through Ephesians, what we'll see when we do that is really some kind of mini series that all come from Ephesians. We'll we'll look at the idea of what the Christian life looks like, what our sanctification growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life, what that looks like. Then we'll do a short series on the Holy Spirit. We'll then look at the idea of marriage and family and work. Is that's all there, practical application of that. And then lastly, we'll even talk about spiritual warfare. And so all those kind of smaller series will break down under this heading of working our way all the way through Ephesians. So that's where we're going. Big idea 
of what we're doing and where we're going. And so today we're going to look at just the first 10 or so verses. But before we do, let's pray together and then we will jump in and look at that first part of Ephesians together. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you have inspired it. You have kept it. You have preserved it. We thank you that it is as relevant today as it was when you inspired Paul to write this 2000 years ago. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would show us today who we are in you as we look at this soaring, beautiful poem that you inspired Paul to write that we look at this morning. And so we pray that we'd see afresh who we are and how that's possible and what that means for us. And I just pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would soften our hearts to receive the truth of your word this morning. We thank you for this time we have together. We pray all of it in Jesus name. Amen. And so as we we look at this, I was actually uh, reading a couple articles this week on some studies that had been done uh, last year about combating uh, basically um, memory loss. And, And as we age and we struggle with keeping our memory sharp and we remembering things and and what this study said, it was real interesting, is that one of the best things to fight against that long term is having a strong sense of your identity and your purpose in life. And it was it was remarkable that this I was reading three different articles about the same study, but they were all saying the same thing, that having a purpose in what you're doing and what you're about and, and kind of what your goal is in life and the purpose that you have and having a strong sense of that greatly helps affect losing memory. And they did this study over a couple of years, really in depth, all these things. And, and I read those studies or those articles about the studies and I was thinking about that. And really what we're going to go to this morning and what Paul's going to tell us right here at the beginning is he's going to give us a really solid sense of who God says that we are. Who your, what your identity is. He's going to hit on so much of that right here in these first few verses. But then not only that, he's going to tell you why he's doing that. And it gives us a great sense of purpose of what God's doing. And so as I was reading those articles this week and then coming back to Ephesians and seeing this over and over, there was such a neat marrying of those ideas that God is telling us who we are and what our identity is and what the reason it is, the, the, the why or the purpose statement and how important that is in our life to know that and how that affects us. And so that's what we're going to do as we look at these first 10 or so verses of Ephesians. We're just going to ask what God says through the Apostle Paul here about who you are. And and, and I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, it's incredible what he says about who we are. It is soaring and high and amazing, the things he says. And so the second question I want us to ask is, how can God say that about us? It is so incredible what he says about who we are. How can he say that about us? And then lastly, why? Why like that? How does all that come together? What's the why? And so let's look at Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse one together. And I want you just to consider as we're reading through this right now, the description of who you are, about what God says about who you are. And so begin in verse one with me, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you just pause there for a second, in the very first verse, as he writes this letter to the early church and he calls them saints. He says to the saints that are in Ephesus. And I want you to understand he's not writing to just a small group of people that happened to live in Ephesus at the time, but he's addressing this to the early church. To those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, as he says there right after that. But I want you to understand what he's saying. 
If you are in Jesus, he says you are a saint. He calls you a saint. And then the second thing he says in verse two is grace to you and peace from God, our father, that God is our father. You are a saint that is a child of God. That's the first thing he says in the first two verses. But keep reading. Look at what he says in verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so he says, you're a saint. You're a child of God. Verse three, he says, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that you are chosen, holy and blameless. It's a pretty impressive description in just four verses that he is saying that that is who you are in Christ Jesus. But then verse five, in love, he predestined us for adoptions as as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You have been adopted into God's family. You are a son or daughter of the most high God. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And he says, you are redeemed and you are forgiven. And so when you start to put together what Paul's saying here is that you are a saint who has been adopted into God's family a beloved son or daughter of the most high God who is blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, redeemed and forgiven. Do you see why Paul is singing? Do you see why this is a poem that is he is overwhelmed with singing about who we are in, in Christ and what he's done for us? It's a marvelous introduction. Right? Can you imagine gathering together as the church and Paul sends his letter and they say, Paul has sent us a letter and it says grace and peace to you, my brothers. And then all of a sudden he goes into this description of who you are. And suddenly you understand why this is one great big run on sentence. That's a poem that is so soaring and what it's saying. He's saying this is who you are. And it's an incredible thing that he tells us a remarkable description that he gives us here. And what I would submit to you as we begin in Ephesians is I want you to consider what it would mean if we were to live in light of this, really believing this is true. Really letting your identity be shaped by what God says about you and who you are. What that would mean for your life, how that greatly influences the way you operate and the way you uh, respond to people and the way you love them and the way that you take criticism and the way that you uh, care for one another. It greatly changes that. And so what I want you to think about as we dig into Ephesians and as we get into these verses and the th- some of the things that Paul says here, we get into some pretty heavy theology and doctrine right away. There's not many sentences in Paul's letters that are not just full of so many big ideas that he says. And so when we get into a letter like the letter uh, to the church at Ephesus and we get into this heavy theology and doctrine. And as I say those things, sometimes I can go, oh, theology. Right. Really? Doctrine. Right. Oftentimes they, they conjure up kind of dry and 
kind of heavy and you got to think hard on it and it's kind of boring. But what I want to say to you and I want you to consider is if that we really understand what he's saying about who God is, the theology here and the doctrine of how he loves you and how he's chosen you and what that means. They are not dry, boring things, but they are life giving, soothing balm to your soul. They set you up of who you are and what your identity is and what God says about you and what that means. And so it is not a dry, boring, oh, doctrine. It's this is wonderful what God is saying about who we are. If we were truly to believe that we are blessed, deeply loved children of God who have been chosen, that he will present you perfect and holy and blameless before him. How would that help? You in your daily life and the struggles that you have. And the setbacks and the things that are coming at you in your life today. If you see that God has set his affections on you before the foundation of the world, how would that change the way you operate and live today? And the answer is it would greatly transform your life. And each day, even when we know these things, we struggle to believe them and hold fast to them. And that's why we need to be reminded. We need to encourage one another in these things. And so look closely here for just a second. Let's just dig into this description about who he says we are. Go back to verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He says before the foundation of the world, before anything that was made was made, he set his affections on you and he predestined you to be part of his family. And I want you to understand how huge of a statement that is that Paul's making. He is saying that that it is completely and totally dependent on God's love and his character from the beginning that you would be part of his family. Before you did anything, before you were ever born, before you were ever created. And the reason he tells you is it says there at the end of verse four, the beginning of verse five, in love, he predestined us as adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. In love, his free, unconditional, electing love before the foundation of the earth, he set his affection on you. And so what that means and why that is so important is that God's love is not dependent on you. <laughs> you realize how incredible that is? That before you did anything, before he made you, before he created you, he decided before any of that that he was going to love you. And he set his affections on you from the very beginning. In love, he predestined you to be his beloved child. And when we start to get the, to the importance of what that means, God's love for you is not waning or growing because of your performance. Do you understand that? 
I was just so overwhelmed with the excitement of what that means this week. That He loves me because He loves me. And it doesn't get weaker or stronger. It's full and it's perfect always because of who He is. That is really, really good news. That it's not up to me. That it's not when I have a really bad week or I blow it that God's sitting there going, oh, there He goes again. He loves me completely and totally because of who He is. In love, He predestined to know me and love me in that way. Do you see how remarkable that is? How incredible what Paul's saying. Do you start to see why he's singing? Why it's this high poem that Paul is getting to? It's this beautiful picture of what he's saying. That his love is so perfect and full. And not only is it so perfect and full, and he, he sets his affections on you, he tells you he's going to do this and he's going to bring it to completion. He's going to present you holy and blameless before him. He sets his affections. He's chosen before the foundations of the world. He's going to adopt you in with every spiritual blessing. And then he's going to present you holy and blameless before him. He's going to finish what he started. And we struggle to believe this. And I think the reason we struggle to believe this is we believe the lie that we're the center of everything. Isn't that the very heart of what sin is? That I believe that it's all dependent on me. That it's all about me. Adam and Eve at the very beginning, God says, just trust me. And they go, you know what? We think we can do this on our own. We don't think that we have to keep you as the center of all things. We think we can be the center of all things. And so when we operate that way, the natural extension of that is we think through, well, God's love is dependent on me because I'm the center of everything. But what this says is it begins and ends with God. That he is the center of all things. That he is the one that began this work. He is the one that's going to finish this work. That he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. It's all up to him. And how wonderful that truth is. That it's his love set, his affection. And so when we start to believe that it's all based on us, but the truth is that God's love doesn't wane or grow based on us. It is rooted and grounded in his perfect and holy character. And that is such wonderful good news. And I think when we begin to grasp that doctrine, that truth, it transforms the way we see the things that we're going through. To along with the lie that we're the center is we can then say things like. Man, my life's really difficult right now, or this really hard thing, and it's all because God's upset with me. You ever heard that? I've been in the hospital before where parents were being told by their friends that their child was sick because of the sin in their life. What? There are consequences to our sin. But even the consequences that come in our life when we rebel against God are because he loves us, because he's doing a work, because he's redeeming us and he's forgiving us and he's bringing us back to set us holy and blameless before him. He predestined us in love. And so when we miss that, we go into all kinds of 
unhelpful areas. But the truth is God is at work in all these things and he's loving you always and he's bringing all these things together. And we struggle to believe that. It's kind of like when we start right at the beginning, we struggle to believe that we're truly loved by God. We struggle to believe what Paul says here, that you're a saint. I've had that conversation with a lot of people through the years. You know, the Bible calls you a saint. They go, oh, I get all upset, like, not me. Maybe you grew up uh, in Roman Catholic Church. And they talk about saints and veneration of the saints and you have to do some things and you have to be this to be a saint. And yet you open the Bible and the Catholic Church that claims Peter is the first pope calling us all saints. And it's all the way through the Bible. But we struggle with that. We have a hard time with it. And I think there's there's a good reason, if I could say it that way, that we struggle with it. There's a humility of of us knowing I'm not perfect. Don't call me a saint. I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with those things. And that's kind of a a healthy humility of understanding our sin and where we are. But I think what really happens is it's an error in our doctrine that leads us to say, no, 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 I'm not a saint. That can't be right. I did a funeral here years ago for uh, my dear friend, Henry Young. Those of you who know Henry that used to go to church here, Henry used to sit right here on the front row. And a really loud plaid jacket most weeks. Uh, if you knew Henry, he was a very colorful character. Uh, he could tell some stories that would make you blush at times. Uh, but Henry loved Jesus. He really loved Jesus. And the time I spent with Henry was always him questioning me about deep theological truths. And he'd get to the end and he'd go, yeah, I believe that. And Henry loved Jesus and he loved the Lord. And I remember standing here at Henry's funeral and reading Colossians 1, where Paul says something very similar to what he says in Ephesians 1. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I read that and I said, do you realize that Henry is a saint and he is getting his inheritance with the saints and light. And there was a lady sitting right over there that gasped. She said, Henry's a saint. She went, oh. And I said, do you have a hard time believing that? And she answered me. She went, yeah. And it was like she said it in the middle, but everybody kind of chuckled and laughed because they knew Henry. But here's the thing that we struggle with. And we struggle with that idea. But that takes me to the second thing of how any of this is possible. How can God call us a saint? How can he call Henry a saint? How can he call me a saint? Forget Henry. How can he call any of us a saint? And that takes us to the how he can give this great big description of who we are. And so look closely again, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you see what he's saying? Verse four, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Talking about Jesus in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He can call you a saint because of Jesus's righteousness for you. The whole song here about your identity and who you are and the way God sees you centers and comes together in the person and the work of Jesus. It's the only way it works. It's the only way you can be called a saint. You're not a saint because you're a pretty good person. You're a saint because Christ has given you his righteousness by grace through faith. That's why you're a saint. Because God looks on you now and sees you as wholly blameless because you're in Jesus. If you have put your faith in what Christ has done for you, God now sees you that way. You are those things that is your identity that is yours in Jesus. And so this song, this poem, the soaring thing about how he says who we are all comes together in Christ. Your identity is hidden in Jesus. But I want you to think deeply about what he's saying here, because this is so huge what he's getting at. Look closely at what he says, because he says before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Jesus. He talks about how we're going to be holy and blameless and redeemed and forgiven. And that was before the foundation of the world that he chose that. And so I want you to understand what that means. That means before God created any of us, he knew that giving us a freedom of our will to choose to be in a relationship with him, that we would sin. That we would rebel. That we would say, no thanks, I've got this on my own. And so before he ever created us, he knew that would be true. But he looked at it and he saw it and he said, I'm going to do that. And then at great cost to himself, he said, I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to adopt you into my family and I'm going to make you holy and blameless at the greatest cost to himself in Jesus. And so when you look at that, that that was always the plan for God to redeem us in Christ. That means a couple of really big things. One is that Jesus is the center of all history. The entirety of all creation centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of it. Every single bit of it. But it also means that God knew that you would rebel and he loved you that much anyway. In love, he predestined you. In love, he chose. In love, he came In love, he laid his life down. He did all of that to bring you back, to give you this entire list of what it says. This beautiful picture of who you are in Christ, that it would always only ever be through him, in him, his blood, his sacrifice. It wasn't that God created and then we rebelled and he went, oh, no, now what do I do? He knew all along that it was going to cost him this. And he loved you that much. In love, he decided to do it. Now the question becomes, why? Why like that? We can struggle with those questions. That's a huge question to wade into. 
why would God do it this way and why does it happen that way? I think the, the kind of snapshot answer is it's the best possible way to the future of what God has for us. But I want you to see what he says here about the why like this. Because he tells you. He gives you this incredible description. He tells you that the only way he can say this about you is in Christ. But then he tells you why. Look at verse 6 and 7. Or go back to 5. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Right? So the according there starts to tell you. Well, it was his will. It was the purpose of his will that he would do it like this. But why? Verse 6. To the praise of of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It was to show you how gracious God is. To the praise of his glorious grace. That's the why. Because God is gracious and he's loving and in his perfect love, he predestined to show you how incredibly gracious he is. That's why. And it begins and ends with him and his grace and his love for you. And I don't know about you, but that is so incredibly comforting that it all begins and ends with him. And he's just so incredibly gracious. Now, he's going to say some other things that come out of that that we'll get to next week. The inheritance that we have and the way he's going to unify and bring things together. And there's going to be things that come out of that. But I think all of it comes under that heading of to the praise of his glorious grace. God gives us these things because he's gracious. And so I want you to think practically what that means for your life. That everything you go through. Every struggle, every hardship, every heartache, every pain, everything, God's using all of it. And he's going to bring it to fruition in the end to present you holy and blameless before him. I, I, I really, I'm still, I don't even think I know what that means completely. But I kept coming back to that this week. Like the dumb things that I do. I, I yell at Quinn last night. For having his shoes on, something stupid. Right? And I'm like, oh, why do I yell at my kid? Like, you know? And all of a sudden it was like God just going, I'm using even this to remake you in my image. Go apologize to your son. You go, why does he love me like that? I don't know. I really can't get my head around how gracious he is. That even in everything, even in my stupidity or my pride or my arrogance or my anger or the things that I do, that God's like, I'm still not done with you. And I read this and I go, whoa. I suddenly get why Paul's singing. Why there's this poem that's just this jumbled run on sentence of all these great big huge things. I can't even fully fathom how good God is, how gracious he is, how he's going to finish what he started. And it's all dependent on his love. In love, he predestined us for these things. Oh, 
What a glorious truth. So, needless to say, I'm excited about Ephesians. <laughs> There's some really wonderful things here about who God is and what it means for us. What our purpose is. What God's doing in our lives. What He's going to complete. I'm really excited to think about what He's going to do in us this year. In this church. The way He's going to shape us and change us by His grace. By His word. For His glory. So let's pray. God, we thank You for Your word. I thank You for this letter that you inspired Paul to write that just soars with the glory of who we are in Jesus. We thank you for your glorious grace. We thank you that you love us, that you are not done with us, that you are working in our lives, that you are showing and teaching, shaping and molding us so that you can present us holy and blameless before you. We thank you that it is dependent on your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would continue to change us that you would help us to see the heights and depth and width of your love for us. That we would see clearly what you're doing and that you would continue to change us from one degree of glory to another. And it would be all to the praise of your glorious grace. We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.